Welcome to The Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Peace and rest, consciousness. It started off as a thought, remember? Yeah. <laughs> Righteousness, consciousness. Dropped that thought. And then, that was two weeks ago. And then last Sunday, it kind of expanded into willingness, consciousness. The emphasis being your consciousness of God's willingness. Coming off of your consciousness of God's righteousness. So I told you that when Christ paid the price... And finish that work. He did not carry God's righteousness and give you. Because as with everything else you are given, you will mess it up. So what he gives you or what he imputes to you is a consciousness of his righteousness, which through Jesus Christ he reckons you to be. So righteousness is not how you feel. Righteousness is how God chose to see you. Yes, That's why it cannot possibly be performance-based. But see, religion makes you feel like when you do one wrong thing, you have lost or compromised your righteousness. Does that make sense? It's you being conscious that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So where is the righteousness of God? Where is the righteousness of God? So when God sees you, he sees you as Christ and therefore reckons you righteous. He didn't give you righteousness to spend and spoil. Like I told you two weeks ago, religion hates this. Because it's not something you can't spoil. You're not holding it. <laughs> you have to be in charge of it to be able to spoil it. Like you spoil the garden. God put man there to tend it. Wahala. So imagine if God gives you your righteousness to tend. So he carries all the righteousness he wants to give you and puts it in Christ Jesus, then puts Christ Jesus in you. Makes sense? Does that make sense? And then there's now the singular issue of yourself, you can try and do nonsense. So he now seals you with Jesus inside you using the Holy Spirit. So in case you want to go and do something and kill yourself with your body, you are preserved for the day of redemption. So that righteousness is one chance. Put it in you in Christ Jesus. Sealed it by the Holy Spirit. You can't lose it. And then we dealt with willingness last week. So if you were shocked to find out that the reason why God hasn't done anything with you it's because you are willing for him to do something. Yes. And how religion has taught you, you must desire God. Yes. You must want to work for God. How badly do you want it? No, sir. That's not scripture. Yes, sir. God did not call you to be willing for him to use. He called you to be yielded to what he's willing to do in you. Yes, 
he that works in you both to will and to do of his own good pleasure. Whose will runs the kingdom? His, not yours. I took you on a journey and I showed you from Genesis right through to Revelation. I said, show me one person that God used because the person was willing. Nobody. So you are crying, Lord, I want to. I want to. I want to. So God doesn't do anything in the church because the church wants him to. But because the church lets him to. Because he's the one who's willing. It's his good pleasure. He's the one that says, I know the thoughts I have concerning you. He's the one that says, all things work together for good to them that love him as they called according to his, his purpose. So I showed you that you don't have a purpose in life. Remember? You don't have a purpose in life. For as many as are the called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he foreknew, he predestined. That's why, again, believers in Christ Jesus don't pray for God to change their destiny. Because you are already in your destiny, which is not yours, but his. For as many as he foreknew, he predestined. And what is your destiny? Conformation to the image of his son. Your destination is Christ. Destiny, destination, same root word. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. And those who he... Thank you. He also... Those who predestined, he also called. Thank you. And those who called, he also justified. And those who justified, he also... So the glory of God, he will not share with any man. That was before the cross. So it's his willingness that's on the table. And your yieldedness. You are ready to say, you know what, Lord, here I am, take me. Do what you will. Whatever you will ask of me, I surrender. That's the posture of a believer in Christ Jesus. There's another thing it brings into focus. Naturally speaking. Peace. But there's a problem because peace, like I said last week and the week before, uh, is not when you feel like, oh, how do you know this is the will of God? I have peace. You're in trouble. Because the will of God troubles you. Why does it trouble you? Because it's not your will. I told them last week, Jesus did not want to die for their sins. I showed you scripture after scripture where Jesus was praying to the Father and said, I just scope. That's Jesus the man. I don't want to die this death. All things are possible to you. Is there no other way we can do this remission of sin by shedding of blood business without it having to be me? Thank God he didn't stop there. He went further and said, Nevertheless, not my will but dying that means jesus had a will and that will did not include dying <laughs> so jesus did not die for you because he felt like it therefore you cannot just be the righteousness of god in christ because you feel like it see new creation realities have never been governed by feelings <laughs> Are you here? Never been governed by feelings. So like, the Lord sent me to start this work. How do you know it was the Lord? Ah, I felt peace. <laughs> do you know what peace is? Whatever peace is, 
it is not a state of mind. Peace is not a state of mind. Whatever it means to you. Because by the time you understand peace properly, you realize that peace is not what any human mind can generate. If a human being could generate peace, then it loses its exclusivity as a thing of the spirit. If a human being can generate peace, then Jesus did nothing special when he gave you And Jesus did not die to give you what you can get by yourself. Is the light bulb already coming off? It cannot be a state of mind. If it's a mind thing, it means a human being has the ability to generate it. And once you can generate it yourself, then what was the point of Jesus dying to give us peace that we can manufacture by ourselves? So if no human being can generate, we come to the conclusion, peace, therefore, is beyond the manufacture or attainment of any human being. It's not something you can attain as a human being. Because we are simply not creative enough to make peace. The human being, it's not, it's not, you're, not, you're not that much of a genius. I mean, it's on record that the average human being hasn't used more than a tenth, up to a tenth, actually, of their brain power. Which I think is very sad. You know, with all the inventions of, of humanity, nobody has used up to a tenth of his brain. So even if you maximized it, you can't generate peace. What then is peace? Let's take a quick journey through the Old Testament. The Old, the old Testament word for peace is the word shalom, not shalom. It's shalom, Shabbat shalom. That's the word used in the Old Testament, Hebrew. I mean, even more than Hebrew. It's still the same word. It means cosmic order as ordained by God. Cosmic order as ordained by God. You can call it a state of divine equilibrium. In other words. Are you here now? <laughs> Cosmic order as ordained by God. So peace, whatever it is, draws a parallel line direct to God as its source. Does that make sense? Cosmic order, as ordained of God, it also means, and you'd like this, the realm where chaos is not allowed to enter. The realm where chaos is not allowed to pervade, to enter, to prevail upon. Shalom. It also means completeness. It means soundness it means well-being and welfare cosmic orders ordained by God state of divine equilibrium the realm in which chaos is not allowed to enter or pervade completeness soundness 
welfare or well-being. Now stay with me carefully because we're going somewhere. You know we're always going somewhere. So calm down. We're going somewhere. Remember these words as we proceed on our journey. Hmm? Cosmic order as ordained by God. State of divine equilibrium. Realm which chaos is not allowed to enter or pervade or operate. Completeness, soundness, well-being, or welfare. Pay attention to these words. Because in the Hebrew, Hebraism, in the cultural tradition of the Hebrews, the word shalom is one of the most significant and important words. It's one of the weightiest words you can say in Hebrew. Differences of the word shalom in the there's about 230-something, 237 or so occurrences of the word shalom in the Old Testament Hebrew. It's one of the most significant words that you can declare. In Hebrew, the weight of it is not the same as greetings, how now? Does that make sense? When a Hebrew says to you, peace to you, Shabbat Shalom to you, what they have said to you is, I am not fighting against you. Between you and I, all is well. And that's another translation for peace. When they ran to the prophet and the prophet said, it's all well. The translation in the Hebrew was, ha shalom. Does anything threaten the peace? So when they say to you, peace to you, it is, we are good. Does that make sense? Because for the Hebrew, it's all about the peace. When they say to you, go in peace. What that signifies in, in the Hebraist culture is that our, our conversations, our consultations, our transactions were successful and were favorable. If you're about to embark on a journey and somebody, a superior, a prophet or a priest or a king or a soldier, a captain says, go in peace. What they have said is your journey from all indications will be successful. Does that make sense? In fact, I'll show you in Deuteronomy 20. You see where God was instructing Israel that whenever you besiege a city, this is very interesting. Whenever you besiege a city, send emissaries to them to make peace so God never intended Israel to fight a war because peace is cosmic order as ordained of God so wars were fought where order was about to be messed with where order was about to be messed with where you're about to come and change something that has been ordained to follow order we go to the farm, we plant, we come back, we have dinner, we go to the temple on Saturday, we wait for harvest time, we harvest, we go to the market, we sell. You know, there's order. And then somebody comes and besieges your city, so you can't go out of your city to your farms, you can't, make, you can't bring in the harvest, you can't do the market, stuff suffers, the peace has been threatened. So you go to war to keep the peace. I'm going ahead of myself. That's why eventually in modern times, the phrase peacekeeping force came about 
Because sometimes peace is enforced by force. Does that make sense? World War II. Everybody was raging. And fighting. And taking sides. Deuteronomy 20. Let me show you that scripture. Deuteronomy 20. I think I need 10 to 12. Are you here? When you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim and offer. Go on. Thank you. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Twelve. Now, if the city will not make peace with you or war against you, then you shall besiege it. So when you go to war, what do you offer when you go to war? Peace. <laughs> I also told you that when you say go in peace, you're saying we're all good. Right? Judges 18. Judges 18. I need 5 and 6. Let me pick a thought from verse 4. He said to them, Thus and thus Micah did for me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. So they said to him, Please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. That means your journey is prosperous. So go in peace wasn't safe journey in English. Go in peace is I have searched, I have inquired, and everything is in place. Do you understand? Second Samuel chapter 15. I'm just laying the foundation. Victoria was saying earlier, and that was beautiful what she shared. She was telling you, just reminding you how the entire scriptures is one message. Stay with me. 2 Samuel 15, verse 7 to 9. Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. Now, some of you can argue that David was led to say to Absalom, go in peace. Some of you can also believe that David lacked discernment out of his frustration when he said, go in peace. Because after 40 years, okay, yes, granted, Absalom was born in Hebron, if you know Bible history. He was born in Hebron, and this is 40 years later. He said, I, want to, I made a vow to the Lord 40 years ago. I want to go and fulfill it. You're supposed to suspect that person. And David says, go in peace. What go in peace meant was that everything else that Absalom went to do, because you know when Absalom left, he then sent spies, that story goes, he sent spies all across Israel that when you hear the trumpet blown in Hebron, shout and declare, Absalom is king in Hebron. That was how the coup played out. Does that make sense? Now, if David had not said to Absalom, go in peace, there would have been no state of order favorable for Absalom to perform what he performed. Does that make sense? In other words, David cannot say to Absalom, go in peace, and then send soldiers and say, watch what he's doing. Are you following me now? So, go in peace was not a greeting. Like, go well. 
go in peace is I have considered your request. Everything is perfect and therefore the atmosphere is rendered convenient for what you want to do. Does that make sense? So David says to Absalom, go in peace. And David doesn't think a second thought about it. Because he has discharged Absalom. And if Absalom needed 20 horses, as he gets to the outer court, and he says, I need 20 of the king's horses. And they want to argue with him and say, why do you need 20 horses? Somebody can confirm and say, because the king gave him the peace. So the peace of the king becomes the currency required to accomplish that which was at stake or at hand. Does that make sense? The king cannot say to you, go in peace, and they stop you at a checkpoint. Does that make sense? Go in peace was a pact between these people in the Old Testament. If I say to you, go in peace, I cannot come and corner you. In fact, there was a time when Joshua and guys had crossed over and they had started taking possession of the land. And I can't remember the name of these guys now. But they came around, Sha, and they wore very old rags. The, the Gibeonites, thank you. And they came and told Joshua, Oh, sir, we've come from a very far country. We're still looking at our bread. Our bread is very old. They brought old bread. Our bread is very old. Look at our rags on us. We have come from a far place and our, 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 our security and our sovereignty is threatened. Please give us peace and promise us that you will be our allies. And Joshua said, yes, we will be your allies. Only for them to wake up and find out that these guys were their neighbors. And so other kings came to attack the Gibeonites who then ran to Joshua and said, you gave us the peace, so now come and fight for us. Now you and I, black-skinned people, Nigerians who say, boy, you scammed me. The moment you lied to me, you annulled everything we had agreed. The deal is off the table. Not when the word peace is exchanged. So guess what? Joshua and the armies of Israel had to defend the Gibeonites. Even though the Gibeonites deceived them to say they had come from a far country. Do you understand what I'm saying? So peace was currency. So when David said to Absalom, go in peace, whatever suspicions David may have had died because he had told his son, go in peace. Do you understand that? Okay, let's proceed. I'll show you one or two more. I've told you that this peace is sometimes established in human terms by force. Judges 8 and 9. Thank you, Father. Over the past few weeks, we have understood a little bit of the trajectory of Gideon's story. Right? He keeps coming up in our church <laughs> recently. <laughs> so by this time, Gideon had become a mighty man. You know, he didn't know he was a mighty man. When Angel told him he was mighty, he now became mighty. You know, because imagine somebody who said he was the least in his father's house, gathered 32,000 men. And then he challenges the people in his father's house, in his village or his town. Let's look at um, verse 4. When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted but still in pursuit. Then he said to the men of Sukkoth, Please give us loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing Zebar and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. 
And the leaders of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hand that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, For this course, um, switch to NLT. In other words, because of this. Yeah? So Gideon said, After the Lord gives me victory over, over Zeba and Zalmunna, I will return and tear your flesh with the thorns and breeze from the wilderness because of what you said. Then he went from there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered. Basically, they refused. Verse 9, New King James. So he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back in peace, Judges 8 9, I will tear down this tower. He was pursuing two kings and their armies. Right? He says, when I come back in peace. What does that mean? When I come back in victory. When I come back and everything is okay. I will deal with you. I'm leaving you now. Because I'm chasing the peace. When all is at rest. And I return. Your tower of your city is coming down. So the word peace was a very strong term used among the Jews in the Old Testament. It's established by war sometimes. He was going to war to find or to take the peace. So I put here, war is therefore any commensurate effort to restore whatever has disturbed the peace of a people or the peace of a nation. Any commensurate effort. War. Any commensurate effort to restore the peace of a people or the peace of a nation. No harm, no foul. We want the peace back. Hmm? Spoiler alert. <laughs> what happened when man sinned? What did God do? He went to war. First Kings 4. Just a spoiler alert. It's one message, the whole scriptures. First Kings 4. I need verse 24, but I need from verse 21 for context. 1 Kings 4, 21. So Solomon reigned all over the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The daily food requirements for Solomon's palace was 150 bushels of choice flour. A bushel is probably like four mudus or five mudus. Of, of choice flour, and 300 bushels of meal. Keep going. Also, 10 oxen every day. From the fattening pens, not anyone. 20 pasture-fed cattle. Not fattened with fertilizer and synthetic foods. Pasture-fed. 100 sheep or goats. As well as deer, gazelles, roe deer, and choice poultry. Every day. So look. So in total, 30 cows. Not anyhow cows. 100 sheep or 100 goats. And choice poultry. That includes turkey. You know, partridges. Chicken. You know what I mean? Then there's deer. There's gazelle. Every day. Not the king's birthday. But then when you marry 1,000 women. <laughs> Let's go. Man. 24. 
Solomon's dominion, this is the verse I need. Solomon's dominion extended over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River from Tipshah to Gaza. And there was peace. Now hold on. Solomon had peace on all. New King James says on all sides. New King James. He had dominion over all the side of the river. He had peace on every side all around him. Go on. Yes, all around him. Solomon did not fight one battle. Solomon, do you know what fight was? Who bought the peace Solomon enjoyed? How did David buy the peace? A war. A conquest. So Solomon was enjoying something he didn't work for. Solomon was in a covenant he did not enter. I wrote a piece a few years ago on Facebook from this city. And I said, if you enter the covenant with God, go ahead and break it. Because it's not valid. You enter covenant with God. You are telling God, I will do mine, you do yours. If I break my own, do me like this. If you break your own, I will do you like this. You're the one that will be done. Now, he loves you too much to relegate his love for you to your covenant. Because he knows you cannot keep it. So he, God didn't enter covenant with you. It's you that want to enter covenant with God. And God promised Abraham, Abraham that he was going to multiply his seed on the earth. What, what was Abraham doing? Abraham was sleeping. God entered blood covenant with himself. Signed for himself, signed for Abraham. Abraham woke up and found himself in the covenant. He said, Lord, I covenant with you today. If I do this one day, kill me. If I even think about it, Lord, before I even get there, let me die. Who has made that covenant before? I have. You went and did it. God didn't kill you. You now got offended. Hey, God. Why did you allow it? Okay, from this following week. Solomon was enjoying peace he didn't fight for. Somebody paid for his peace. Somebody paid to ensure that Solomon was guaranteed divine order. Solomon, to, to me, Pav, is one of the laziest kings. If you look at Solomon from a new creation perspective, zero rating. Zero. What did he do? Is that why you have time that you're looking at aunt? <laughs> Go to the aunt, thou sluggard. Go to the this. Then and then. Christ became for us wisdom. I don't need no aunt. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've told you before the wisdom of Christ retires the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon want to teach me that Christ in me wisdom, Christ in me power cannot unpack. I'm treading in paths that Solomon only dreamt of. He died not having obtained the promise. That apart from me, he could not be made perfect. Scripture cannot lie. So what was Solomon's advantage? Somebody paid for his peace. Spoiler alert! So you understand that I'm teaching you the gospel. 
as lost as some of you look. The chastisement for our was upon him. Very shortly, you'll get to understand. Just Somebody paid for his peace. That's why I said it's not something you can generate. If you are responsible for your peace, you have none. Did you hear me? If somebody can speak to you and you are disturbed, you have no peace. If your landlord can knock on your door and then you go crazy. Hey, what's thing I could do? You have no peace. Something falls apart. You go crazy because a list came out of people that are due to be mobilized and your name is not there. You apply for a job and the list has come out for people who have been shortlisted and your name is not there. And you lose peace. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. You're losing it because like everything else, it is what you generated for yourself. Are you following me? Why did I say you cannot lose righteousness? Because it's not generated by you. And it's not supervised by you. Why are you disturbed? Because your equilibrium is yours that you see that created it. So you freak out. You get disturbed. I don't know. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. You know what? Ah, I'm depressed. You know what? I'm doing this. I'm de- you're, 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 no, no, you're, you're, you're not a son of God. Or you're a very, very ignorant, babyish, infantile believer. I don't care if you have been a pastor for 30 years, 40 years. If you cannot, how you handle conflict determines your spiritual character. You can't freak out every single time something goes wrong. See, things are bound to go wrong. Jesus made a very beautiful promise. <laughs> beautiful promise. You know the promise he made? He said, in this life, <laughs> you will have many troubles. He's not a man, he cannot lie. <laughs> if he said it, <laughs> you believe it. He's a man of his word. Because you can't, you can't believe that. Oh, he said I'm survived. He said I'm healed. I am. If he said it. He said I'm free. I am. I believe it. He said I'm justified. I am. I believe it. He said you will suffer. I am. So the people that told you, come to Jesus, your problems are over. They lied to you. Once you give your life to Christ, he will transform you. See, Salvation is not him. No, you're watching the film, you just see somebody in tattered dress. Then do not show one white screen. Far, you just see the person with suit posing behind one Rolls Royce. You see, you know. See, go and do a statistic research. Come back and tell me how many people did music videos with cars that belong to them. Go back, come back to me. Or houses that belong to them. Because if you're all that, sir, you have the Rolls Royce, you have the Bugatti, you have everything, you don't need to rent or hire, just buy it. Come to Jesus, everything, all your problems will be over. You're there to be cancelled. They will knock on your door <laughs> the day after you got born again. <laughs> You know, say if you are God, why? Because He is God. 
Because he cannot lie. He promised you, you will have many troubles. The good news is it doesn't end there. He says, be of good cheer. I, not I will overcome. I have overcome the world. So you can only lose your peace if it is yours. Just like you can only tamper with righteousness. Oh, I've lost my peace. Because it's yours. Because everything that is yours is liable to be corrupted. <laughs> Are you here? Everything that is yours is liable to be corrupted. Everything. So Solomon is enjoying peace he didn't work for. What do you think God, the prophecy in the Old Testament meant when he says, you will reap vineyards you did not plant? You think he was talking about agriculture? He was messianic in nature. It's about Christ and what he was coming to do. It's not about money you will make, miracle money, that angels will pay into your account. You shall drink from vineyards you didn't plant. You shall eat the fat of the land. I'm going ahead of myself. Because even fat, fat is synonymous to peace. You get there. Solomon enjoyed peace he didn't generate. I, Alexander Victor, enjoyed peace that I did not work for. So it cannot be a state of mind. Because it's not coming from your mind. It's coming from the mind of he that wills. Are you here? Peace is obtained by force. Peace is obtained by diplomacy. Peace is also obtained by imputation. That's where consciousness comes in. Peace is ministered. Peace is not acquired. Did Solomon generate peace or did Solomon receive peace? He received peace because somebody gave him a peace that was not his. Solomon was running around the palace when David was conquering nations. And so what did David do to Solomon? He bequeathed his peace to Solomon. So hold up. Whose peace actually did Solomon enjoy? Who got it? Who made it? For who? Whose peace was it? Because Solomon can say, I have peace if he fought at least one war. War being any commensurate act required to keep or restore peace that is threatened. Solomon didn't have one such fight. At least one. At least one. David did everything for Solomon to come into. Solomon's temple Whose temple is it? Did Solomon walk for one emerald in that temple? Solomon stacked up every ingredient required to build. David, rather. Solomon just stepped in and entered the benefits. David understood it because he had already said of Jesus, who daily loadeth me. Bless the Lord who daily loads me with benefits. So Solomon got benefits off of David. 
Because peace is ministered. Can you say that with me? Peace is ministered. Yes, peace is not generated. <laughs> it's ministered. You must receive the ministry of peace. Are you here? Yes, sir. It's imputed to you. That's so why you must be conscious of it. That's the general use of the word shalom in the Old Testament. Can I proceed? It brings me to the New Testament. And so what I love a lot is the word from which you get the now English name Irene. The word peace in the Greek is Irene, but it's spelled Irene. E-I-R-E-N-E. E-I-R-E with an accent. Right face accent. N-E with an accent. Irene is a word in the New Testament Greek. Remember the meaning of shalom? Now hear what Irene means. Oneness. Quietness. The health and welfare of an individual. I said pay attention to the words, right? Cosmic state of order. As ordained of God. Divine equilibrium. Completeness, soundness. Realm where chaos is not allowed to enter. Welfare. If you were here for the soteria season. Remember when we de- defined soteria? So just keep your spirit open. Like I said, it's one message. Irene, oneness, peace, quietness, health and wealth of, or welfare of an individual. It also can imply rest. It's from the word aero. This is E-I-R-O, not to be confused. Confused with A-I-R-O, which is to lift up. Remember, whatever branch does not bear fruit, the father arrows, not cuts off. It was wrong translation. Yeah, Aero means to lift up. That's A-I-R-O. This is Eero, so E-I-R-O. Make sense? That's the root word from which Irene is, is derived. And it means to join, to tie together into a whole. Hence, wholeness. Hence wholeness. Make sense? To tie together into a whole. Like, um, what, what, what example can I make? Like a broom. You know, a broom is actually a combination, amalgamation, conglomeration, concert hegemony of broomsticks. So, technically speaking, it's brooms. But because they are tied together in a manner that brings about a hegemony, it's just referred to as a broom. That's a row. Like a stack of wheat that has been harvested and tied. Does that make sense? Imagine if you went to a cornfield and instead of taking off the corn cobs off the, the stalk, you take off the stalks and then tie them together. So they now become one stalk off. Does that make sense? So that's arrow, to tie together as a whole. It also means the state where all essential parts are joined together. That's what translated peace. Do you have it? Now let me start to teach. If you remember from your understanding this gospel, we said the word for gospel is a word evangelion, and it means good news. But it means good news that does not have a bad side. 
I explained to you that the gospel is not good news like a coin that has two sides. God is good to you. Accept Jesus and reject him now he will kill you. If you die now, where will you spend your eternity? Today, today, tomorrow, no more. <laughs> no, the good news, the gospel is good news that doesn't have a bad side. The gospel, Evangelion, is defined as many things. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of God. The gospel of Christ. The gospel of peace. At the core of the gospel is peace. So when I said earlier on that peace is obtained by war, what do you think Colossians 1 means when it says having spoiled? It is only from war that you get spoils. It's not from negotiation or excursion. <laughs> you might get a souvenir from an excursion. But you get spoils or you take spoils from a war. Think of the language that Paul is using. Paul is writing to people that understand the socio-cultural context of what he's saying. Socio-cultural context of what he's saying. So when he says having disarmed, you don't you know they watch film. You point a gun and he just takes it. What is back at you? You only disarm somebody who was armed. And trying to use the arm to do something to you. What does it say of Jesus? I mean, disarmed principalities and powers. He made an open show of them. The message says, dragging them, dragging them in the street. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of the cross. Come on. And marched them naked through the streets. The core of the gospel is peace. That's why I took time to explain to you what peace means. Peace is not the name of a sister in your yard. Peace is not a religious greeting. At the core of the gospel is peace. See, let me tell you. Everything Jesus preached... Everything the apostles preached can be summed up in one word, peace. So when a son of God says peace, that's the end, full stop. That's why if you walk closely with me or have related with me, once I say to you peace, that's a finish. Nothing else to say. Because if you can pick one, one syllable word to encapsulate everything Jesus did, that word will be irene, peace. Are you here? Let me start to show you. Luke 19, Jesus had come into Jerusalem and after they finished all the Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. You know, they said Hosanna, Hosanna on Sunday. By Thursday, they killed him. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Friday. <laughs> Good Friday. Your Jesus that died on Friday and woke on Sunday, is there's a problem with it. I don't trust him. 
Because my Bible tells me that he will be dead three days and three nights. Friday to Saturday, day one. Saturday to Sunday, day two. Hafa. He died. He, he, he didn't even die Friday morning. Ninth hour. 3 p.m. So three, three hours to the end of Thursday. Because Jewish days are nightfall to nightfall. Go and read Genesis 1. And the evening and the morning was the first day. <laughs> so Friday afternoon, Friday late afternoon. Mandem died. <laughs> Friday to Saturday, 24 hours. Saturday, 3-ish. To Sunday morning, 3-ish a.m. That's only 12 hours. It's not even 48. That's 36 hours. Add another 3 to 6 o'clock. That's 39 hours and your Jesus rose. He owes us one day and nine hours. Now somebody is shocked because they've never thought about it. Gang, gang. Because it, 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 there's a problem. Is there not? Oh, you don't think so? There's another night between Friday and Sunday that we're not aware of. It's things like this that force you to decide whether or not you want to know the word of God. Because like I said, there's somebody waiting out there that will make a mess of you. If you're not grounded. Peter says, always have a readiness to give an answer to those that question you concerning the hope you profess. You must know these things. I'm not a follow, follow Christian in that sense. Just okay, he died on Friday. You know, woke up Sunday. Okay, yeah. no, 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 no. How far? Friday and Sunday, by whose calendar? Gregorian? There wasn't Gregorian calendar in the time of the death of Jesus. So on Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, lift up in him. They brought a rappers. Eh? Hollandis. George. Liz. Now, you would have thought Jesus would be like, whoa, look at this guy. He's praising me, worshipping me. 41, Luke 19. Jesus looks at Jerusalem that had just finished doing Korea course. See what Jesus says to them. He says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and what? They were celebrating and jubilating. You know, take something and wave. Take something and wave. Wave in the air like you just don't care. It's on so you're there. All of that is going on. Jesus is on a donkey and he's weeping. That's why you don't measure the efficacy of praise and worship by how noisy it is. High praise, mostly consisting of empty words. Chants that make you sound no different to the prophets of Baal. We're just walking people up like football fans. That won't, that won't happen. And you're dancing, you're enjoying. At the core of the gospel is peace. Are you ready for this? Luke 19, 41. Let's continue. As he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, hear this carefully, if you had known, even you, who is you? The city. No, no, no. Jesus is weeping over the city. 
Go back. Pay attention when you read scriptures. Go back to 41. As he drew near, he saw what? So what's the subject matter? The city. And he wept over it. What is it there? Go on. Saying, if you, who is you now? Good. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. All your dancing and noise and all you're doing right here today. If you only knew how much peace is riding into your city. Let's see other translations. NLT, TPT. 42. How I wish today that you of all people will understand the way to peace. TPT. If only you could recognize that this day now, Jerusalem was not at war, at least not physically. There was no famine, not of food. There's no record that there was an economic downturn in the time of Jesus. But Jesus looked at an excited people without understanding and said, Ah, man, if only you could identify that peace is here. Show us the message. If only you had recognized this day and everything that was good for you. Amplified. Look at this. <laughs> this gives it away. If only you had known on this day of salvation, even you, the things which make for peace and on which peace depends. Ladies and gentlemen, angels appeared in Luke chapter 2. To shepherds when Jesus was born. And they declared glory to God in the highest. And on earth. And on earth peace and goodwill to all men. Cosmic order ordained by God. Divine state of equilibrium. The realm within which chaos is not permitted to enter, operate, or pervade. Completeness, soundness, wholeness, oneness, tying together everything into one. Essential parts gathered together. Well-being and welfare, a.k.a. peace. If only Jerusalem knew what makes for her peace? In other words, looking for peace in all the wrong places. What happened to Jerusalem? They were not peace conscious. Are you here? Because all Jesus came to bring about is peace. The entire salvation narrative is peace. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. Look at verse 7. <laughs> How beautiful upon the mountains. Mountains. Think Abraham and Isaac. Think Jesus on the hill. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who, capital H, proclaims peace. Peace. 
who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims right there being a synonym for peace. How beautiful upon the mountain at the feet of them who proclaim peace. This is Isaiah 52, right? Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom, of whom they have not heard? Who is he talking about? Who is the him? Christ, right? Christ Jesus. Good. How shall they hear without a preacher? Now see verse 15. This is Paul speaking. How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Quoting Isaiah 52. Look at me. If you did not receive peace when you believed the gospel, you have no right to believe you are saved. If you believe the gospel and you received Jesus, you received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you cannot not have his peace. You can't say you have eternal security, eternal salvation, and be grappling with peace. Because the gospel is of peace. That's what Jesus preached. You know, sometimes you miss some details in scripture. Acts 10.36. We're doing good on our journey. Acts 10.36. Look at that. The word which God sent to the children of Israel. Preaching what? Through? Jesus came to preach what? The gospel of peace. (laughs) Ephesians 6. This is where I've been trying to get to all day. Ephesians 6, 15. And go back to 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate. I'm sure pretty much all of you here know what a Spartan soldier looks like, a Trojan soldier. Yeah, all them guys. Okay. So bear that picture in mind. Because Paul, again, is writing from a social cultural context. So stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, you know that metal thing they wear? Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let's do a quick quick forensic exegesis. The word having shod is the word hupodio in the Greek. H-U-P-O-D-E-O. H-U-P-O-D-E-O. Having shod or having covered, right? Hopodio in the Greek. And it means to bind under. Hmm? So it's not, it doesn't refer to having one like you're wearing shoes. The Roman soldier's sandals are such that really all there is to the sandal is the sole. And the straps that tie it up. The essence of a Roman soldier's sandals are for protection of his feet. No other part of his leg is the issue. Does that make sense? 
Because a soldier is only as effective as his stand. If you're not standing well, you can't attack well, you can't defend well. Does that make sense? So to a soldier, how you were standing depended on what you were standing on. Paul says, you are standing on the gospel of peace. You are only as balanced, as settled, as at rest, as at equilibrium, as your consciousness of his peace. Are you hearing me? That's what it means to be shod. When you wear sandals, you're wearing sandals with emphasis on protecting your soul. On standing well. That's why no matter how many heels you have, six inches, four inches, two inches, you don't just get up and say, on the left, I want to wear four inches. On the right, I want to wear three. Because you, you have no footing. You have no grounding. You have no standing. That's the word, hopodio. Preparation is the word, hetoimaisia. H-E-T-O-I-M-A-S-I-A. Hetoimaisia. H-E-T-O-I-M-A-S-I-A. You get it now? Hetoimaisia. And it means foundation. Firm footing. Readiness. So you are bound under, you are standing on the foundation of the gospel, good news of peace. That's all that Paul says there. Do you understand? What is undergirding you? What is sustaining you? Your balance in life is hinged upon the readiness of your foundation to subscribe to the gospel of peace. I wrote something here. And I said, peace is the cosmos, the guaranteed habitat of the justified. Peace is the guaranteed habitat. In other words, if you are not, you, you are not in a state of his peace, you're squatting somewhere else. You're squatting. Because peace is the cosmos. It is the cosmic state of divine order. For the justified. By right. Are you hearing me? Romans 5.1. See it. Therefore, having been. What do we have? With God. Is it your peace? Did you work for it? Did you fight for it? How do you have it? Did Solomon fight for his peace? It's in the parlor. It's in the parlor. Yes, Solomon had peace because David paid for it in full, leaving nothing out. Who Christ died. Now, sons of God, we have peace through Christ. It's our guaranteed state of being. The word we have peace is not the, it's not the same as the word lambano. The word we have peace in Romans 5 is actually a very interesting word. A word that you all know. And you never, know, you never realized what he meant. It's a word echo. Echo, 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 echo. The way it is spelled, E-C-H-O. It's a Greek word. <laughs> That's a word for we 
have peace. And that means to possess or to hold extensively. It just keeps going. Quickly put a delay on my voice to give you the echo effect, punching your temple. So it's extensively to have peace. To hold extensively. So when I say something, it echoes after me. Long after I've said it. The delay time is still short. It can be much wider. So we use it like a time delay when we're singing. And we say something. And if I increase the decay time, it continues to decay even after I've said it. I have peace through Jesus. He released it on the cross, but it continues to extend. That's the word have. Echo in the Greek. Jesus came to give you. How can you be without sin and without peace? Because you're, you are without sin. Hello? John 1 29, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. God was in Christ reconciling all men to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them, right? So your sin problem has been taken care of. You are not a sinner. As long as you have believed, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your sins have been taken away, so you are without sin. Therefore, you are not supposed to be without peace. That is a violation of divine order. I received a message this morning that stole my peace. Not in this house. I got a phone call, an email, and my peace vanished. Listen to me. That's why those things have been coming. 
so that if you have 10 liters of peace that belongs to you, hmm? heaven is sponsoring withdrawals of your peace so that you can have none left. Next time you put your ATM card into your peace account, the machine will collect the card. And close your account down. And let you know, as a son of God, it is illegal for you to have a piece of your own. It's a violation of divine order. Listen to this. You can only have a degree of your peace if you retained a degree of your sin. Each time you fight to maintain, generate, or keep, and therefore lose your peace, what you are saying to order is I still have some carnal man left in me. What you're saying to divine order is my, Jesus died for my sins, but perhaps there are some left. Because I repeat, you cannot be without sin and be without peace. Without sin equals to absolute peace. Because the only thing that threatened the peace was sin. <laughs> Are you here with me? The only thing that messed up divine order and stole the peace was sin. Now, if sin has been taken away, which it has, if sin has been dealt with, which it has, how dare you be without peace? Even for a second. It's like telling me that it is possible for you to be without God's righteousness for a second. You cannot be sin free and be without peace. So again, you realize that all you needed was a what? Because I have not come to give you anything you haven't already always had. First time he showed. I look at Isaiah 9 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He has justified you. And brought you into. Ephesians says that he, he, we are now accepted into the beloved. We have entered the cosmos of divine order. Yes, sir. We have gone back and beyond Eden. Because as beautiful as Eden was. It was just a deposit. You see, the beauty of Eden was at best a visitation of Emmanuel. He came down to fellowship with them in the cool of the day. God didn't dwell in Eden. He never dwelled in Eden. And at that point, he didn't dwell in man. 
Doesn't it interest you that the writer of Hebrews is saying in chapter 12, you have come. He doesn't mention Eden. He mentions a bunch of, of synonyms. The New Jerusalem, the Mount Zion, city of the living God, church of the firstborn whose names are registered in heaven. He doesn't mention Eden. You have come back to the Eden place and gone beyond it. You are now in a realm Adam, the first Adam did not experience. And that Adam, before he fell, had peace. And I can't have. You see, so all along is a consciousness problem. The entire gospel is about peace. Everything. Ephesians 2.14. Look at this. For he himself. Peace. Our order. Our restoration, our equilibrium, our foundation. Not he by proxy, he himself. Go on, let's go to verse 17, from verse 14, all the way to verse 17. Stay with me in 14. He himself is a peace who has broken down, made both one, and broken down the middle wall of separation. Keep going. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And he may reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death to death the enmity. 17. And he came and So when he came, what did he preach? When he was born, what did the angels declare? Peace. When he entered Jerusalem and they were making noise, Jesus wept because they didn't, they were not conscious of what? Peace. When he justified us, he now gave us what? Peace. That echoes. So the moment you were justified in heaven, they just pressed one button on the desk. Peace. See verse 37 of Luke 19. You see the difference between disciples and the mixed multitude. Luke 19, 36. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road, 37. And then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples. You see that? Multitude of the disciples. Not everybody began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, consciousness, for all the mighty works they had seen. Go on. Saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Why do you think of all names? He will say, I am the prince. Peace. Prince of peace. I wrote here, people are lost and empty when they refuse the peace that is the gospel. The peace that is the gospel. People are lost and empty. Listen, this is the one thing the unbeliever does not have and cannot have. This is the one thing that ain't no amount of money can buy. 
peace. That's why Jesus is the peace offering. Leviticus 3.1 He's our peace, right? He offers it to the herd, whether made a sacrifice of a peace offering. If he offers it to the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. That he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering and offering entrails to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron's sons shall burn it upon the altar, which is on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Keep going. If his offering as a sacrifice of peace offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his and Aaron's sons shall spring the head of his offering. And kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. The tail which is removed close to the backbone, keep going. And the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. The two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food. An offering made by fire to the Lord. And if his offering is a goat, he shall offer it before the Lord. So same principle, keep going. He shall lay hand and kill it before the sacrifice of the meeting. And sons of Aaron shall sprinkle his blood all around the altar. Keep going. And he shall offer it from this offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all that is fat that is on the entrails. Two kidneys, the fat that is on them, the fat still attached to it, he shall offer. Burn them as altar as food, on the altar as food, an offering made by fire. For a sweet aroma, all the fat is the Lord's. 17. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood because it's the Lord's. Peace offering made to God. The fat of a Holy Spirit. The fat of an animal in Hebraistic terms was considered the juicy part of the animal. In Hebrew culture, God only gets the best. And the best of the animal was what God said, remove all the fat, remove all the entrails, the special things, burn it to me. So you and I can eat the red meat and leave the fat. No, 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 juice is all about the fat. So God demanded the fat because the fat signified the value or the increase. So when scripture in the Old Testament says stuff like, you shall eat the fat of the land. Do you understand it now? It's speaking metaphorically of the best of the land. Are you here? Don't interpret scripture by your culture. Yeah? Or by your tradition. Let scripture interpret itself. The social cultural context of, of sacrifices means that while here in Nigeria we remove the kidney and whatever and give some people or you know or the suya guys put it to the corner they don't display it with as much 
you know, fanfare as the red meat. Is that not so? But in Hebrew culture, it was all about that fat. Fat signified prosperity. Only rich people could afford to eat fat. Hence, you will hear phrases like the fattened calf. The calf that has been fed so much so that it can grow a lot of fat. Because a cow is only as healthy in their estimation as its degree of fat. Are you here? So when scripture says you shall eat the fat of the land, it's saying you shall eat the best the land has to offer. So when you're offering a sacrifice to make peace with God, I don't want to hear anything less than the best. Are you following me now? The fat, the kidneys, the, the parts under the lobe, everywhere that is juicy in that thing, don't dream of giving any priest to eat it. Burn it to me. Offer it to me. I like the smell of fat. And then he says, do this forever. Now religious people struggle with this. If Jesus kept the law and fulfilled it, how come there are things that the Bible says we should do forever? Because you have forgotten that forever is a person. Forever has a name. What does Hebrews 10, 14 say? By one sacrifice, has he perfected for how long? So who is our forever mob? So when Jesus died on the cross and we came to life, he gave birth to us. Everybody that will ever be born again till the end of this eon has fulfilled what Christ has fulfilled. So God looks at an ordinance he gave Israel, sees it in you and counts it fulfilled. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't dismiss it. So forever is swallowed up in him who is forever. Does that make sense? So when God says, I expect Israel to do this forever. I expect you people to do this forever. All your generations. All our generations have collapsed into Christ. Are you following me now? So in Christ, every generation has kept the law. So no, the scripture is not confused. It's not, it's not confused at all. There's no controversy. No contradiction. You shall keep this as a statute to all your generations. Yes. Our generations all arrived in one person. And what did he offer? The best. As our peace offering. The lamb. The goat. However you want to call Jesus. Because he can be the goat. He can be. Don't let religion deceive you that goat is a bad person. Lamb is a good person. Wait until you meet a stubborn lamb. They are just little lambs that are actually very stubborn. Because Jesus is either the lamb or the goat. Whatever you want to call him. And it's a scripture. The important thing is it was a sacrifice. 
So guess what offering Jesus was paying? <laughs> my peace offering. Do you understand? Christ, my David. Are you here? Christ, my David, laying up the fat of the land for me. All I need to do is just arrive and Solomonize it. You can look at me and judge me. Hey, look at him. He's killing 30 cows every day. 100 sheep every day. He's, he's eating chicken, turkey. Hey, it's not because you didn't want Yeah, I didn't work for it. Now imagine that all of Solomon's 40 years of reigning, every day, 30 cows died. Every day, 100 sheep lost their lives. <laughs> Plenty talkies where went to glory. 40 years, no record of a famine. In Israel. Yes, so begin to picture how much well-being David stored up for Solo. 30 cows a day will be every 10 days, 300 cows every month, 900 to 950 cows. Less 900 times 10 months is 9,000 cows, plus two months is 1,800, so that is 10,800 cows a year. 800 times years is 40,000 on this side. Eight times 400, 800 times another 40 on this side. We're looking at like around 60,000 cows. Not anyhow cows, fattened. Was my math close? Was more? What was my mathematics? Times 40. I did times 4. Right, so looking at 400,000. So, roundabout region of about 600,000 cows. There you go. Now, at that ratio of 30 to 100, 600,000 cows will be in the range of 2.5 million sheep over 40 years. Don't count the turkeys, the goats, the deer, the bushmeat. Don't count the fact that in those 40 years, the Bible says he had peace on all sides. Solomon never raised an army. How dare somebody tell you you have to fight witches? Solomon never had to protect what he had or he would lose it. So we now tell you, careful oh, you are healed. But careful if you have secret sin, the sickness will come back. Solomon never had to fight. Neither do I. Solomon inherited conquest. He inherited spoils. Somebody paid the price for his peace. The chastisement for my peace. He paid for my peace. That's why I said never let anything disrespect the peace of God in Christ Jesus. 
that you have. Earthly happenstance. You, you were rusticated. Your marriage broke. Join the queue. You understand? There's a queue. Take a number. Oh, the, 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 the jam form came out. I could not buy a jam. I don't know what to do with myself. Join the queue. Temptation has befallen you that is uncommon to man, scripture says. No, we are not of them that walk around and feel disadvantaged. We operate in the cosmos of peace. Peace. So when I say to you that how you know God's will is not that you have peace, does it make sense now? How you know you are in God's will is that you are on his peace. What's your own? Because your own will short circuit. He will shock you. His peace. Let me try and find somewhere to end. Is it helping anybody? Because Christ is our peace and he left us his peace. That's why peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 Actually, take me to Romans 8 first. Romans 8.9 Thank you, Father. Romans 8.9 But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Does He dwell in you? Does He dwell in you? Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, it's not his. No debate about it. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not of Christ. All right, go on. Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life. And look at this. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, does he dwell in you? He who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells where? His spirit dwells where? His spirit dwells where? Remember Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, he has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying. So there's no contest. If you're born again, you have to have the spirit of God. If you have the spirit of God, Galatians 5, 22 is your portion. That's why I showed you Romans 8. For the fruit of that spirit. is love, joy, irene. How does the TPT put this? Verse 22. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you. Is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues. The message. But what happens when we leave God's way? He brings gifts into our life much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, that's love. Exuberance about life, that's joy. Serenity, that's peace. So if we have the Spirit, do we have the Spirit? Yes, Romans 8 just shows us what yes. so do we have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, He entered you with peace. Yes, the moment He entered you, peace entered. 
So in the same way you cannot be without sin and then be without peace. It's in the same way that if you have the spirit of God, you cannot be without peace. You don't have peace. You don't have the spirit and look for peace. On the other hand, you don't have the spirit and lose your peace. To lose your peace meant you lost the spirit. The spirit produces, the spirit works in you, peace. And peace is not the absence of uncertainty. Peace is not the absence of uncertainty. Oh no, I'm sure about everything. No, 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 no. Peace is equilibrium in spite of uncertainty. Why would Jesus say, take no thought, saying, Matthew 6, what shall you eat? What shall you drink? What shall you put on? Hear what Jesus said to them. I think in 2039 or 29 or 30, about 30, he says, after these things is what unbelievers are chasing. Look for it, Matthew 6. So every time you're saying, ah, what shall we eat? Oh, we don't have what to eat. Oh, what shall, what shall we wear? Hey, where shall I sleep? You know what you're saying to yourself? I'm an unbeliever. Matthew 6. Thank you. Give us TPT. This is Jesus speaking. So then, forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? See what Jesus says. How can you say we are unbelievers because we want to eat? Because Jesus said so. Each time you get caught up in your material needs to the degree that it takes your eyes off he who is your peace, you are walking in unbelief. It is as though you were not saved. Because your salvation is all about peace. Will you have troubles? Yes. Some of them will come this week. <laughs> it's not a prophecy. <laughs> it is the, wait for this, it is the gospel truth. <laughs> Today, like this, the Lord said, Asked me, He said, What do you think I meant when I said, Do not be troubled? If I also said to you, In this world, you will have many troubles. Now, I've taught you in this house. <laughs> when God asks you a question, it's not because He doesn't know the answer, it's because He wants to teach you something. I was quiet. So why will I say to you, don't be troubled? When I say to you, you will have trouble. That's quiet. Because don't be troubled doesn't mean stay away from trouble. Don't be troubled means don't let trouble trouble you. Because else God will be lying. Jesus will be lying. To say don't be troubled and then he says you will have troubles. Not be troubled by the troubles. Because you're conscious of his peace. You can't be troubled by the troubles. 
Oh man, why? I, I don't have a. I'm squatting with somebody. Take your number. It doesn't take anything away from what Jesus did. Nothing. You see, a lot of us are actually where we are because we are dependent on people. You spent all your life waiting for somebody to hand you something rather than pressing. Who told you you must earn a salary? I've said this in this house before. Take it however you want. Who told you you must earn a degree? There's somebody sitting here. Your life took a turn for the worst the day you entered university. Who told you you must go to school? In this age where education has left the building. You can have tons of accredited courses online without sitting in a brick and mortar classroom. Degree. What has your degree done for you? You learn banking and finance for four years. You get a job in a bank. They still have to teach you how to be a banker in the bank. What did you do in school? What did you learn in school? Now, if you hear me say, no, that is my ticket to not go to school. Fine. That's why I said take it how you want. I'm speaking about your equilibrium. You occupying the place that God has preordained for you. It's not dictated to by what happens in your life. Do not be troubled. Oh, look at my mate. You have no mates. You have no mates. Even if you are a conjoined Siamese twin, one came out a millisecond before the other. You have no mates. My mates, my peers, you have no peers. So stuff will always happen. Stuff will always trouble you. Or at least try to trouble you. Now, if you're not one that has mastered the consciousness of Christ's peace, you find yourself being tossed around every time something happens. You sit down and go, look at me. At my age. And my, my friends, my mates have land. My mates have married. Why are you under such pressure? I'm under pressure to settle down. Peace is settlement. Peace is settlement. If the cross paid for anything, it was your peace in Christ Jesus. Are you getting this? Peace, therefore, is a state of spirit. It's not a state of mind. Because it is contained in your spirit that itself is the spirit of God. Peace is a state of Spirit, it can't be a state of mind because it's contained in your spirit, which is in itself the spirit of God. You getting this? You will then filter it down into your mind to the measure that your mind is renewed to grasp God's will. Does that make sense? Peace doesn't start in the mind. Peace ends in the mind. It starts in the spirit. Ends in the mind. I wrap this up here. Peace is not the absence of the storm. Because the storm will come. Peace. Listen carefully. If you were going to write something, write this down. Peace is the ministry of Christ Jesus to the believer in the midst of the storm. Peace is the ministry of Christ Jesus to the believer in the midst 
of the storm. And it didn't start today. Three Hebrew boys were thrown into the fire. <laughs> he was watching, didn't stop the fire, didn't stop them being thrown in. If you are God, why did I enter this problem? Listen, the furnace was heated up seven extra times. And then three guys are thrown into the fire who had said, oh king, you know, we're not even careful to be answering you in these kind of things. <laughs> because the God we serve can deliver us from your hand. But let's just inform you, even if the God that we serve decides to not deliver us, we in ourselves are too self-aware. We are too conscious. We are too conscious to bow to you. They were thrown in. Inside the fire. Not outside. Inside the fire. The ungodly king himself looked. The one who was supposed to be the one receiving worship. Looked and said, did we not throw three men? He didn't stop there. He said, did we not throw three men bound into the fire? Unable to help themselves. How come I see four men lose and the fourth is as the son of God? Who informed Nebuchadnezzar the image of God? Now, to cut the story short, when these three guys were brought out of the fire, scripture says they did not smell like it. Now, Jesus says, when you go through in Isaiah, the fire, didn't say if. He didn't say, I will take you above the fire. He said, I will be with you in the fire. Yes, sir. That knowledge is peace. Yes, when you go through the flood, I will be with you in the flood. That knowledge is peace. So somebody here has to repent of your unrealistic expectations of God as the person that circumvents you around life's troubles. So when you enter a trouble, you feel like it's because God didn't do his job. No, he's with you in the storm. John 16, 33. I'm done with this. I'm just trying to ramp it, wrap it up. If this has helped anybody. John 16, 33. Peace, consciousness. Jesus says to his disciples, in me, you may have peace. In me. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 14, 27. John 14, 27. Are you seeing this? Jesus again speaking says, Peace, I live with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. I shouldn't have to be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Luke 24 and 36. Luke 24 and 36. Luke 24, 36. Now, as they said these things, this is when Jesus resurrected, right? Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. Peace to you. Peace to you. If everything around you was certain, everything around you was calm, you would never need to trust ever. Everything around you just lined up immediately. You will never need to exercise the spiritual discipline of trusting. So somehow, life is designed to keep you trusting. 
keep you trusting. You will never be certain of anything. If you're you're 100% certain of anything, you're the one behind it. You're the one behind it. Trust in His will. He knows just what to do. So that's why we look to Him. Romans 15, 13. Now Paul begins to pray as I begin to pray as well. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There's a peace in believing. May that wash over this house. That you may abound. Go on. In hope by the power of the Spirit. He fills us with peace. Have you ever wondered why every of Paul's letters that he wrote, he opened those letters up with grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. He says in Romans 8, 6, I think to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace or life which is to say peace. To be spiritually minded, to be conscious is peace. Imagine David will stand and say, let the heathen rage. The people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves together against the Lord and his anointed. Let us cast their yoke over our necks. The Lord shall laugh at them. His own sort of pleasure. For some trust in chariots and some others trust in God. Then goes down and then later on he says, they are brought down and fallen. But we are risen and stand upright. That's what peace does to you. That's what peace consciousness does to you. Peace answers to the Christ in you. The assurance of knowing that you are the ark of Christ. And if you are the ark of Christ, ark, remember Noah's ark? If you are the ark of Christ, look at me, you cannot sink. You cannot sink. No one can sink a ship Christ is in. Let the heathen rage. No one. To your greatest disappointment, you wake up tomorrow, open your window, you will see me alive. Yes. I won't die because you feel like I should die. Because I am the ark of God. I can't sink. He will not jump out of me like Jonah jumped out of a boat because I'm sinking. No. No. The captain goes down with the ship. And this captain doesn't go down. So the ship stays afloat. Look at me, beloved. You can't sink. I can't stand before you and promise you that you will know everything that's coming. That you'll see everything that's coming. But I can assure you on the strength of God's word that his peace is your portion. And because his peace is there in the midst of the storm, do not be troubled. Do not be troubled. Do not be troubled. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. 
For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply puts or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.